Hello everyone, what's your idea of a nightmare? I'll tell you what my idea of a nightmare is. Meridian's keyboard player saying he's listening to Beampod right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello Mark. Hi Mark. Uh, Yes, as you will no doubt have seen from the title of this episode, we have finally interviewed Mark Kelly. And when you say we, you mean you. Me, just me. Just me. I interviewed the lovely Mark Kelly and he was lovely. Uh, however, he did sort of uh, threaten me that he was going to listen to this episode and additionally had confessed that he had listened to certain episodes of Bam Pod already. And so Sanya and I have been sent into a spiral of cringing. <laughs> we've just been cringing at ourselves and all the dumb things we've ever said. We've ever said, yes. So, of course, uh, I'm sure you're aware that Mark's autobiography is out and it is bloody great and I think you should all go and read it because not only is it a very easy read, isn't it, Sonia? You read it so quickly. You read it in like two days or something. Yeah. Well, it's structured like a story. And even though I sort of knew kind of some broad strokes of the story, getting Mark's take on it, you know, from his upbringing, which I knew like zero about, and a lot of details of kind of his first band, Chemical Alice, and, and joining Marillion through to the breakup. And then some stuff about the age years that I didn't know about. And he he's really honest in there and really open about what he feels and mistakes he's made in his life. Um, and, you know, taking responsibility. That it, It's such a warm book. That's what I felt by the end of it, mm. was it felt like I'd spent a couple of days with Mark. And, and then interviewing him, as I did yesterday, as we're recording this, yeah, I really like him. And it's strange because all those other members of Marillion are behind the, the usual front men. You know, they are yes, they are anonymous true. to a certain degree. Yeah. And even though I interviewed Mark once before 25 years ago, I was shitting myself when I did that 25 years ago. Absolutely crapping myself. Right. And I think then I couldn't see through my fog of, <laughs> of nerves. Uh, which I don't know. What was the album you interviewed him about? I don't know, because I was trying to remember whether I interviewed him before I interviewed H, which was for H, I interviewed for Radiation. That I remember very clearly. And I I thought it was .com, but then I started to think, oh, maybe I interviewed him for This Strange Engine. But I don't know, that interview, because it was on Teletext. Oh, that was quite a while ago. Yeah, because it was on Teletext. It was probably lost to the mists of of time. And it was, because I remember then as well, I think someone... Someone on Teletext had said something less of... Because I didn't work on the music pages. I was just the guy mm. in the office that liked Marillion. And someone had said on Teletext something unflattering about Marillion and Mark brought it up. And it, you know, completely... Not not now, in the original interview 25 right. years ago. He completely threw me. Because it was like, no, it's like, I can't I can't admit to him I'm a fan. And yet I don't want him to think I wrote that. And <laughs> so, oh, so well, you me. just left it, or oh, you did say it wasn't you. Yeah, I think I said, oh, because well, I'm not the resident Meridian expert in the office. And, yeah, anyway, but he was very nice about it. And also, the difference was this time. I think you know, I was, I'm a fan. I do a fan podcast. He knows on you're on his side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though he has listened to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what I will oh, say... Oh, that's nice though, if he listened to the podcast and still agreed to an interview yes, with you. Yes, I know. Yes, yes. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Word scared off. So uh, it was a, it was the toughest interview I've done for this channel. Pure channel. It was the toughest interview I've done for this show purely because so much was covered in, in the book. Right. And you didn't want to 
you didn't want to talk about stuff that was already answered in the book or yeah. you didn't want to ask him questions that were already answered in the book. Yeah, it felt redundant and I, I wanted to do something that was more like a sort of extension or companion right. to the book than something that was was uh, just recapping because I, I didn't see, you know, because because of the nature of what this podcast is, Yeah, it, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will have already read it who are listening to this. And if they haven't, they should. We'll do a proper review, I think, when you finished finished it. Yes. Um, but uh, but I will say it is well worth reading. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've only just started it and I'm not reading it as quickly as you did. Yeah. It's very engaging. It's like you feel like you're in those situations that you're reading about. I mean, I love hearing about people's lives and... Their, their childhood and stuff like that. And it's it's such a really fascinating insight. Well, yeah, his, his childhood and his upbringing. Yeah, I mean, it's so, so different to anything I've experienced. I think he's around the same age as my mum, so I can kind of make parallels like, oh, my mum was growing up at that time in London. And I don't know, I just find it really fascinating. Two things I will say about the interview. One, they're is an absolute bombshell of a nugget about sugar mice that will mean you never listen to that song in the same way again. It was one of those things that I kind of, when he told me, I was almost jumping up and down in the seat. Because, <laughs> oh, really? 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 Did you go never and listen to that. sugar mice again straight after? I didn't, actually. I should have done. Um, no, I listened to the interview. <laughs> and then... The second thing I will say is that right at the end, there's a really awkward bit where I ask him if he's ever seen Star Wars. Because <laughs> I wanted to ask him the question that I asked Lucy. Right. You know, about which members of Meridian, uh, or what, which Star Wars characters would members of Meridian be. Right. He'd never seen, or at least he's not a Star Wars fan enough. And then how I said goodbye to him was awkward. How well. did you say goodbye? Go and tell me. I said, I said, see you in the charts. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, good work, kiddo. No, I didn't say that. I said, um, <laughs> I said to him, see you at the Marillion weekend. And then the minute he sort of laughed. And then the minute the, minute the conversation ended, I just was like, oh, God, <laughs> stupid thing to say. That's not even that bad. I don't, no. I don't get why you're cringing so much at that. I don't know why that. It's fine. Uh, we will just jump into the interview now. So thank just you. jump in. We've been talking for like half an hour. Nine minutes, 46 seconds. Oh, nine minutes. <laughs> nine minutes, 46 seconds, not including the bits that I've edited out. So a bit less than that. We have been talking for about half an hour because the amount of times we've attempted to record this intro. <laughs> That's true. And outro. So, um, yes, thank you, Mark. We'll see you at the book launch. Ow, no, that's... No, that's... don't say that. So, thank you, Mark. Um, here's the interview. It was a surprise when you announced that you were doing a book because I remember years ago I read a, a quote from you where you sort of said you, you couldn't ever imagine writing lyrics in the way that H does and sort of putting yourself out there. So... What was that like? I mean, were you were you nervous at the sort of uh, sort of exposing yourself in that way? Do you know what? I wasn't. I I think I just got so much into writing it. I just enjoyed the process of you know. I was like, I started it last like Christmas a year, just over a year ago, and I was in Brazil with my wife. We weren't married then, but 
Um, and I remember sitting down each day and I really look, look forward to just sitting down and spending a couple of hours just writing, you know, and I didn't even give it a second thought that anybody was actually going to read it. Um, and so I've probably more open and, you know, honest about stuff. It's, to be honest, some of it has actually been cut, but not, not by me. And I was really disappointed that some of it had to be cut, but you know, there are people that are in this book that are, you know, are still alive and I'm still friends with, hopefully. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, talking of that, what surprised me about it was that it was sort of quite heavily weighted towards the 80s and the, the fish era. Have you had his heard his reaction to the book? I have, yes. Um, I was a little bit nervous about what he would say because I knew he'd read it. In fact, he was dead keen to read it because he... He, he made some hints about it online because he does this Friday night podcast and a few people messaged me, oh, did you hear what Fish said, you know, and basically saying that he was hoping he was going to get a copy. Then he messaged me the day the books came in saying, are you going to send me one, you know? So and, I, and I'd actually written a little dedication to him in a book that I hadn't actually posted. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's sat here in front of me. I'm going to send it, don't worry. <laughs> and then I sent it to him thinking, I wonder what he's going to think about this. Because, yeah, it is quite heavily weighted to the 80s, but that's, I'll I'll get to that in a minute, but anyway, Fisher's reaction was was I think he was a little bit pissed off about s- some of it, but he was I think he was genuinely pleased um, to to get it. He he said in his own words, it's given him the kick up the ass that he needed to write his own book. So mm. you know, great. Um, he's got his own version, and, and as I said in the note that I wrote to him, you know, we've. You know, memories are really subjective. We all remember things differently. Um, I've tried to be as honest as possible. I've told things how I remember them. And, you know, he's got his own memories and he's got his own gaps that he wants to fill in. Good luck to him. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him to do that. So I think we're still friends. Um, <laughs> You're not nervous about that eventual book when it comes out? or No, no, I don't think so. You know, um, uh, you know, it's just how you see things. And I, I was trying to be as as fair as I could be with, you know, seeing seeing other people's point of view. Hopefully, I did. I, I didn't come across as being too biased towards my own viewpoint. I certainly didn't spare myself with some of the things that I've done. You know, um, but as far as the the actual the, the way the book's structured. Um, it's not that most of the interesting stuff happens when you're young, but when things happen for the first time, mm. they have more of an impact on you. So, you know, joining the band, the first gigs that we did, the first time we went in a recording studio, signing the first record contract, all those things are like big events in, in my life. And, and so, so, you know, there was a lot of first time things that happened in that first decade. And of course there was all the lineup changes and all the stuff that went on with fish and John Arneson and, the, you know, getting dropped by the label and all the rest of it. So there was, there was plenty of story there. Um, things settled down, you know, in later years, you know, in the last five or six years, for example, you know, we only made one album, for example, you know, and I'm not, I didn't want to keep telling the same stuff over. Oh yeah. Then we went in the studio. Then we did this tour. Then, we, you know, I wanted to try and keep the pace up. And so it does tend to accelerate as the story goes on. I'm sure you noticed. Yeah. I mean, was there an element as well of, of the fact that you still have, have got to work with the rest of the guys? <laughs> Do you, you know, you perhaps left stuff out because of that reason? Well, not really. I think I've, you know, I, 
I, I covered some of the worst moments of, of what's happened. There isn't really anything on, on a professional level. There's not anything really that I've left out. Nothing significant anyway. Um, on a personal level, there's stuff that I've left out. Um, right. But that's mainly, that's mainly because one of my exes got a, a solicitor to, to send me a warning letter about, right. oh, people, about people's right to privacy, which is fair enough. You know, my, my exes aren't in in the public eye, as it were, you know, their lives are private. And so, but it wasn't about trying to settle scores or, you know, reveal things about people that they don't want revealing. I was just trying to tell my story. And unfortunately for them, as they probably see it, they, they're part of it. So, you know, I, I have to mention them. I have to mention that I had children with two different women, you know, yeah. the, the, that's, that's just, that's just my life, you know? Um, so there's no chance of you doing a novel where you kind of do a fictional version. Of, fictional you know. version. Um, <laughs> now I should mention actually that talking about novel, um, the I had a ghostwriter help me with it because I'm not a writer. So mm. I wrote my version, sent it to him, a chap called Phil Wilding, who is who has written a couple of novels. I, I like his writing style, and he brought a certain amount of professionalism and a sense of humour to it. So he, you know, there's a there's some really good gags in there that came from him, which I really like. So, um, but it's still my voice. And a lot of the writing is still mine. It's just, he's polished it. If you know what I mean. You say you're not a writer, but something that jumped out in the book at me was that you actually wrote, you did write some lyrics for chemical Alice back in the day. <laughs> and do you remember what they were about? Or was is it- um, oh, don't embarrass me. Come on. <laughs> It's <laughs> my job. <laughs> you know what? It was okay. So there was a song called "Lands of Home," which was one that I really didn't like. But yeah, it was. There was a few references to Stephen Donaldson's um, the oh, trilogy. Did. Yeah, yeah. The the guy with the the the, the white gold ring, the leper. You know. The, the, but it was very vague references. But that was the influence in certainly the couple of verses that I wrote. Um, but I don't want anybody to start digging out their old Chemical Alice records, the, the 10 people that have still got them, uh, to check what I'm talking about. Let's just I, leave that. That was in the past, you know. I think I have got a copy of um, – what was the, there was one that you did as a single. I think I, I do think I have in the shed a seven-inch of, of, of yours from back then, believe me. No, or. no, no. It was a 12-inch with four tracks 12 on inch? it. Yeah, right. It was probably one of Pete's if it's a seven-inch. He was the pop – Pop artist. Uh, okay. It might be a 12-inch. I haven't been down the shed for a long time. Dan't go down there, but we'll gloss over that. Is there, or was there a frustrated writer in you all these years? You sort of, you know, going back to that thing of, um, you know, you sort of saying you couldn't imagine writing lyrics like H. I mean, was there ever a part, you know, I know with Marathon you didn't write the lyrics, but did you have an input before you, you know, has this given you a new confidence? Um, I did enjoy it. I think... Um, if I had another idea for a book, I'd, I'd be I'd be tempted. But to be honest, I've told my life story, and that's about it. You know, um, I think um, I've got no I've got no ability to write lyrics. That's the thing. I mean, I think you have to you have to play to your strengths. You know, and and so you won't be seeing lyrics from me anytime soon. Um, and H does a good job, and Guy Vickers, who wrote the lyrics for the Marathon album, does a great job as well. So, you know, um, that's fine. I'll stick to music. Talking of marathon, is are you planning a second marathon album? Yeah, I've got some musical ideas, a couple of lyrics that are already definitely going on it. Um, and I'm not sure when it'll be out, but it won't be 25 years. 
Right, yes. Yes, I think, well, funny enough, because the believe it or not, I, I interviewed you once before, about 25 years ago. Um, and Did I think you? it was, yeah, yeah, for Teletext, of all things, um, around the time of dot com, I think it was. It might have been radiation or dot com, but, um, and you were indeed talking about um, the Dante's Inferno uh, project. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, because I tried to get Steve Wilson involved in that back then when he was a young whippersnapper. Wow, and um, and he never um, he never really came back to me, so I don't think he was impressed with what I sent him. But the funny thing was, I b- bumped into him a few years ago when I told him I was making a, a solo album finally, and he said, "Is that the one you started twenty five years ago?" Been a bit of a I don't know. It's hung over you, isn't it? It's kind of. <laughs> And yeah, I've had people asking me all these years, when are you going to do a solo album? Um, yeah. But, you know, I realised that I work best as a part of a team. I'm no good on my own. So once mm. I managed to get together a, a group of guys to, to form a band of sorts, I mean, we've never done a gig, but um, I found it a lot easier. Do you Did you find it kind of liberating, kind of having the final say on Marathon compared to how Marillion usually works? Um, I suppose so. Yeah, it was just accepted that whatever I said went and which was which was good in a way but it's also it's also good to be challenged as well you know not to just go well i want it to be like this and everybody go oh okay that's fine you know Mm. um i wouldn't want to work like that all the time but you know having said that you know i was working with a bunch of talented guys that that certainly made didn't make me feel like I was the best in the band by any means. So it was great to have people to bounce off that, that come up with stuff that you go, wow, that's really good, you know, but it was very much a, a, a joint effort. It wasn't as if I was telling everybody what to do. I'm, my way of working would be guy would write a lyric. I'd give him some feedback on it. Um, some, you know, some of those lyrics were, th- were ideas that I suggested to him, but somewhere he, he came to me and said, well, I'd like to write a lyric about this, like the Amelia one, for example. Yeah. Um, when I sent it to Ollie, um, with the music, you know, he's just threw some stuff back at me. How about this? How about that? And I said, yeah, that's really good. Let's, let's work on this bit, you know? So everybody had their own creative input. It wasn't me just saying, Oh, here's, here's the vocal melody. Here's the lyrics sing that Ollie came up with his own vocal melodies and harmonies and suggestions for what he might do. It was a, just like working with Beryllium without anybody arguing with you, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I was going to ask about that. I mean, has that, that the process of how you put an album together now, I mean, compared to when you first joined the band 40 years ago, how has it changed? What's what's different between then and now? I mean, other than obvi- the obvious. Well, I think, I think your expectations back then when we wrote a song, you know, somebody would suggest something and everybody would be like, yeah, great, and off we go and do it, you know. Um, there wasn't really much chin stroking. There wasn't really much... Um, waiting around to see if something better came along, you know, um, whereas the last five or six years, we, we tend to write by jamming back then it was more, somebody would come up with an idea and we'd work on it and, and develop it into a song, you know, mm. now it's more organic and we, you know, we jam for hours. Well, we don't jam hours all day. We will jam for an hour. And then the next day we might jam for another hour. You know, you can't do that sort of thing all day long. Mm. Um, but over time, you know, between, Probably we didn't really start properly till about 2018, um, but over time we built up a, a store of ideas, if you like, and then, but then the difficult bit comes to deciding which ideas to work on or which stuff to develop into songs. And eventually we ended up with about 20 songs that were at various stages of being finished. 
And then there's a the difficult process of deciding what's going to get used. Now, in the past, we wouldn't have enough stuff that we could all agree on. This time, we just kept going until we had an album's worth of material that we all thought was really good. So um, it did mean that there was a lot left behind, quite a lot of it, which I think is a shame because it was really good. So does that mean we're not, we, we've not got six years until the next one, do you think? I, I don't think so. I mean, we did something similar happened when we did Afraid of Sunlight on the back of Brave. When we'd finished Brave, we had some stuff left over, which became the beginnings of Afraid of Sunlight. And we made that album quite quickly. And I think a lot of people would agree that it's one of our better albums. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing to do an album quickly after such a long break. But, you know, I think with with um, Fear, we were all very happy with that. Mm. And our, our um, measure or criteria was, could anything we do now replace something on Fear and be good enough? That was the sort of, if it's not good enough to replace a song on Fear, we're not doing it. So that's really why it took so long. But I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how it's turned out. So, and I think everybody else is. That's the thing. We've, we've got five members of the band and a producer who all agree that all of the songs on the album are good, which is a rarity for us. I shall, I shall come back to the, the album again in a minute, but I just wanted to ask, when it comes to that process of, of choosing what's on there, what are the divisions in the band tend to be? Do you kind of know, oh, that member will sort of favour that kind of song? Do you, do you, can you have a, a sense of that? Uh, yeah, I think there isn't... Okay, I was, it's funny because I was reading about how things were with Genesis, for example, and how right. Mike and Tony always used to back each other up whenever one of them wanted something <laughs> or something, the other one would. So they'd, they'd be sort of divisions in that way. It doesn't really work like that with us. What tends to happen is people different members of the band will expect different things or you know putting it really crudely um we all look we all sort of favor our own instrument in a way so right. for example steve 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 h might have a, a lyric that he's really happy with um if we can find some music to hang it on great he's he's happy you know mm. um if one of us then says well that music like let's say me <laughs> says right. But that music needs to have some changes in it. It needs, you know, it's not, it's not interesting enough. And then he's like, yeah, but you're going to mess with the lyric, you know? So there tends to be that sort of division where I'll be trying to push to make the musical arrangement as good as it can be. Whereas he's trying to push to keep the lyric in an order that works, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I suppose it's just everybody wanting their, their bit, not their bit, but you know what I mean? The thing that they're responsible for, being as good as it can be. So that's probably where some of the friction is. Um, with Ian, you know, understandably, he's he's very conscious of the sort of energy levels of the songs. So if it's, you know, if it's if it's an album of quite slow songs with not a lot of drumming, it's like he's not as keen, you know. Well, you can right. understand yep. that. Well, you know. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think we're all mature enough to to realise that we you have to look at the bigger picture and say, well, what works best for the song, you know? Mm. Um, sometimes it can be a bit, a bit frustrating if you feel like a, a great bit of music doesn't make it into a song because there's there's nowhere to sensibly put it, you know, whereas you're like, I don't really want to use that bit of music. And it happens from time to time. But, um, but we're patient, you know. There's a piece of music which is on this album, on the track Care. Um, it was written in 2010. Whoa. And we all really liked it. We just never found 
a suitable place to use it. And finally, we found somewhere. What's what's the story with um, going back a bit? Uh, power, because I seem to remember that as a title floating around for years. There was a few. There's been a few like that. I think. Um, what was the other? There was another one that was like I think Accidental Man was another one that 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 had took on various versions before we finally did it. And Power, I think, was one of those. It was it was probably hanging around from the Happiness Is the Road sessions. Um, and we didn't quite get it right, you know, but that's, but it's always been like that, you know, where you've, again, I think it, it tends to be the lyricist, whether it's Steve H or Fish, who's got a complete lyric and they want to use it. If the music isn't quite right or isn't good enough, even then you don't really want to throw the lyric out. You know, you, you're better off trying to find the right music for it, which means maybe waiting until the next album. And in the book, going back to that, you, you, you're you quite open and honest. I think you have been in interviews when you think a song or an album isn't as strong as others. How long does it take for you to kind of get enough distance from an album you've made to be able to kind of have a, I guess, objective, subjective, I don't know, but to kind of know, oh, that's good or that's bad? Well... I find it really awkward talking about how good I think stuff that we do is. Sure. Um, you know, if I say it's good, then I think it's good. I'm not going to say, wow, this song is fucking great, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody saying that about their own stuff, it just doesn't sound right to me, you know, whoever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, sometimes it takes a while. I, I can remember being a bit disappointed well, quite disappointed around about Afraid of Sunlight because of how they, more about how it was written and recorded and how quickly it all happened. It wow. felt to me like there wasn't enough. In fact, I think that the there's an accidental man on this strange that's, engine. No, that's, that's, yeah, this strange engine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I think Accidental Man was one of the songs that, that we had a version of it that I wanted to put on Afraid of Sunlight, but it wasn't universally liked. Yeah. And um, it basically got thrown off. And it, and it ended up then being rewritten musically and resurfaced on this strange engine. The point was that it really disappointed me that this song didn't make it onto the album. So that probably tainted my opinion of the whole album, <laughs> which is a bit, which is a bit much. I know, it's a bit it of now. a shame because it's such a brilliant album. As well, well this is uh... the point I'm, I'm about to make. And, and so over time, and again, um, out of this world, it had more of a sort of. Sorry about that noise in the background. That's all right. Um, out of this world had a more of a sort of band played ending to it, and H mm. didn't like that. He wanted something to be a bit more low key to more suit the lyric. And again, I was a bit disappointed because I maybe I, I tend to favour the more you know bombastic, mm. bigger sounding stuff, and that's how it was. And I think he was right. Just a second. It's not even my phone. Sorry about that. That's all right. It was one of the kids' iPads. But anyway. I've just turned it down. Okay. Um, so I hope you can hope you can edit that out of your um Ah, oh, it's fine. I'll uh, yeah, I'll edit it around it. Uh, oh, I'll leave it in. It's a bit of you're you just know. gonna leave it in, yeah. I can tell. Like, oh yeah, that's fine, don't worry. I'll get rid of that. <laughs> I'll be listening to the podcast. In fact, I did listen to a few of your podcasts. I think oh god. I was I was I found it quite entertaining. I, you know, I didn't want to listen too much because people people talking about our music after a while, you know, even if it's as entertaining as you and your your good lady. Um, oh, well, bless you. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, we um, we try to be honest because we always sort of say that 
if we're not, that when we say something's great, that we really love it, it has more impact. Um, I mean, we're allowed to say when something's great, we're not in the band. So, um, you know, uh, so when we don't like something, we're kind of trying to be honest about that. But, you know, broadly, it's, you know, we wouldn't be doing it if we weren't fans. You know, it's always interesting to hear people's opinions, good or bad. Uh, not, you know, I don't have to agree with them. Um, but in the case of that Afraid of Sunlight album, you know, yeah, years later, I'm looking at it thinking, well, actually, that's a pretty good album. It's quite diverse. It all works really well together. The songs are all pretty strong. So, you know, I was wrong. Mm. And that's fine, you know. I have to ask about this because um, you, I've heard you mention it many times while we're talking about things that you didn't like. Is most toys. How does that, a song like that that you you specifically, Mark Kelly, really doesn't like, how does that end up? on an album what's the process of that i said right from the start that it was rubbish and it shouldn't go on right. the album and I'll, I'll say that now still um there's a few others that i really don't like um but sometimes we've we've probably moved on a bit from those days there was a time when if three or four people in the band liked something then the the dissenting voice was ignored you know mm. um yeah i just don't understand why we did that song you know at least it's short that's the only thing it's got going for it, I have to say. Um, there's a few others where I can see the failed attempts at doing something, like the sort of, you know, hope for the future. Um, there's some good bits to it, but, you know, it's it, again, it's, it's not a great song. 80 Days is another one that's not a great song. I think it's just the fact that we're trying to do this sort of cod samba thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, we don't really pull it off. That's the point. Right. I don't think it's a bad song. I just think we don't do it very well. Yeah. Um, there's certain areas of music that, that we should just leave well alone. Yes. <laughs> if it was recorded by somebody else, it, it, it could actually be quite a good song. Um, but most toys has no redeeming qualities at all, as far as I can see. Um, but there you go. Fair enough. Um so you've said as well in the book that you, which I completely agree with, is that the last couple of albums you felt have been particularly good. Has something changed? Do you put that down to something in particular? Why fear and sounds that can't be made as such crackers? I think I think it comes down to that thing of of um, members of the band being able to veto stuff that they're not sure about or that they're right. really not keen. On. And I'm not I'm not just talking about me here. You know, um, I think there's been more of a willingness or a desire to make every album as good as it can be rather than you know we've we've done the work to write the song we've recorded it we're not throwing it out now that's that's that was our attitude in the past and not because they you know and don't get me wrong a, a song which is pretty good it's hard to say it's not good enough we're just going to put it on the shelf or put it in the bin it's a bit like you know the guy that's making a movie and they they spend all day climbing a mountain to get that great sunset. And then the editor cuts it out of the movie and puts it on the floor. You know, um, you need somebody to, to be willing to climb the mountain, but then still edit the bit out, you know? Mm. And sometimes in the past, we weren't always willing to do that. And I think we are more willing to do it now. But the idea that if something is good, we'll come back to it and we'll make it better or good enough to, to go on an album. You know, we're not going to make many more albums. You know, the, the fact the rate we're making and we probably won't make it anymore. <laughs> I was going yeah, to ask you about that. It was, it was a bit of pressure. But, um, but, you know, at this stage in our careers, you know, we should really try and make our work as good as it can be, you know. And it's Mike Hunter. Does he help with that? He's the driving force behind it, I'd say. He was the he was the one that, that made the rule 
if you couldn't put it on fear that it's not going on this album, you know, right. um, I think it's, you know, and it's important, you know, to have a producer that's got high standards, you know, he's, he's, he's basically said, yeah, we're not getting any younger. We're not going to, I'm not fucking around making songs that aren't good, aren't that good. You know, they have to be great by, you know, I say great, you know, there's a, that's a, that's a subjective term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. As yeah, good yeah. as we can make them, this album, I think, is in the top 25%. I, I put it, some people will put it higher than that, I think. And I'm not saying that because I'm, you know, <laughs> well, you, maybe you can't trust me because I didn't like Fred of Sunlight. When <laughs> but, um, but just from the feedback I've had from people that have heard it, you know, it's not just people going, oh, yeah, I really like the album. It's people calling you, messaging you multiple times to say, this is really good or this track is really great, you know. So I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that some people will agree that, that it's it's amongst our best work. I think you said, it was in the book that you said that you kind of came up with a lot of the musical ideas on Fear. What's what's the breakdown on the new album? Are you still sort of as involved or are you? Yeah, I think um, it's a bit more guitar-based in a sense. It's a bit. It's got a bit more energy to it. You know, it's less keyboard landscape and more band, I'd say, mm. you know. Um, but, yeah, I've still come up with a fair amount of the ideas, of, you know, um, more so than on on the earlier albums, that's for sure, because it did tend to be more Steve Rothery was, was the main music writer and I was, you know, not a distant second, but certainly quite a bit below him in terms of the, you know, percentages or whatever, how you, you know, however you want to put it. Mm. Um, but yeah, with Fear, I came up with a lot of the ideas and this one probably not quite as much, but certainly more than I used to. Um, but, you know, it's, that's hard to, to really, it's not like, it's not like songwriting. It's, it's, you know, you jam and you start, I get something started. I come up with some, a, a chord progression or, a, you know, or a sound that suggests something. And, and then, you know, we build a, a part of a song around it, but without H singing on it and without Steve's guitar playing and without Pete's choice of bass notes, which can turn a, a an ordinary chord into a really special chord, um, you know, we wouldn't have a band. And there's, you know, for me, one, it's, it's hard talking about it when you haven't heard it, but on the track Care, it's basically three sections. The middle section, I think, is, is the, um, a great example of how jamming we work together and, and what comes out of it because you've got i'm playing some chords in one one sort of time signature he's playing something else over the top of it pete's doing some great bass moves and then steve rather is doing this really great guitar figure which has sort of got nothing to do with what i'm doing or what ian's doing right. <laughs> he's playing in three four and and i'm playing in four four you know and but the whole thing just gels beautifully and it's like mm. one of my favorite bits on the album and then steve h sings this fantastic melody over it which is put through a, a leslie speaker so the voice has got this swirly sound to it um and it's that's sort of the marillion jam you know thing happening at its best mm. and it's pretty much what you hear in fact that whole quite a lot of the album sometimes that what what you hear on the record is what was actually played during the jam not not replayed not arranged it's literally you know, because it works so well. That happens a lot. If you mm. if you find that you you make something up on the spot, and then you think, oh, that was really good. I'm going to do that, and then you can't quite get the sound, and you certainly can't quite get the, the the way you played it. And that that happens. And you think, what was I doing that made it so special? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And you just can't capture it. But great. The great thing is now that because we record everything multi-track, mm. you know, to hard disk in, you know, 96K, 24-bit, um, everything's usable. You yeah. Know? The only thing that makes it not usable, if we play it badly, you know. Um, so, so in that sense, we've got the best of both worlds. Well, I always remember there was the story, I think it's done the rounds about, a version of Sugar Mice that you recorded that got lost, that was your original playthrough of it. Um, do you remember that? I think I mentioned that in the in the book, actually. Oh, right. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we did a version of it at Bray Studios with Chris Kimsey was there, and mm. um, and it was like a demo. And it was so, it was such a good version, but it wasn't the quality wasn't good enough to, mm. to use for on the album. And we were sort of we were sort of hard pushed to to try and beat it. And um, and I think um, in fact Steve Rodbury told me this after I'd finished the book when he read it. I, I made a mistake because the, there was two arguments between Steve and Fish, and one of them happened on the Clutching at Straws session. Mm-hmm. And Fish basically that was when Fish pinned Steve up against the wall. I, I, oh, I, I and he um, and Steve was so cross and so angry with Fish that he he went in the studio and then just blew his way through the Sugar Mice guitar solo in one take. And that was what was used on the album. So it was like, there you go. Fuck you. Wow. You know, so. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> so um, Steve, Steve told me that story or, or reminded me of that story after I'd finished writing the book. And right. Was, uh, That's cracking. So. <laughs> Talking of that, you, you sort of mentioned in the, the book about, um, there was a bit of a blow up in Portugal with you and H and also how different the two of you are. How has that relationship between the two of you evolved over the years? Well, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've generally we get on well. I think he just thinks I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm difficult to deal with and he, <laughs> and he's difficult to deal with in a different way. I think that's mm. the truth, you know, um, but we've we've learned to live with each other, and we are friends. And uh, you know, sometimes we fall out, but not not usually that badly. And we're both quick to apologise if we say things that we regret, which happens, you know, in relationships. Um, but but that particular time, yeah, in, in Portugal, um, that was a that was the worst I think that we've ever gotten to the fact that we didn't speak to each other for about six months. Wow. Uh, but. Um, but yeah, it was more a case of my timing could have been better, you know. Um, when when somebody criticizes something that you're doing and you and you respond by throwing something back at them, you know, rather than dealing with what what's being talked about at the time, you know. Um, we all do it. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but over the years, I mean, we've you know we've had some great times together and 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 still continue to. So it's it's you know. I, th- I think we're past the stage where either of us would just storm out and not come back. You know, in mm. fact, you know, I don't think anybody would do that now. You know, we're all a bit too too long in the tooth. You know, mm. and we know each other's, you know, um, personality traits. Shall we say? You know, mm. <laughs> we all we all bitch about each other behind our backs. So yeah, well, that, was, that was in the book as well. I thought that was I said interesting. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At that time when I walked in and it was all everybody went quiet, and I'm like. Oh, what's that's a bit weird. And I suddenly it dawned on me, I thought, you fuckers, you've been talking about me. And then they all just started laughing. But is it still fun though? I mean, being in the band, or is it uh, is it work as well? Or is it I don't tell anyone, but it is it's not work. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. It's, that's it's, good to know. It's better than working for a living. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, there are times when it's hard, and and uh, you know, um, but I don't think we've got anything to complain about. You know, mm. so it's it's fun, and we and we do genuinely have a good laugh. There's always stuff going on that we're all you know we're laughing about stuff. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's tense, sometimes it's stressful, sometimes we're knackered from the the travelling and all the rest of it. But but generally, it's 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 a great job you know yeah before we finish i wanted to go through the album um the new one as i as we know it because most of us out here have only only seen the the track listing and i just wanted to run down the track listing and just see what you can tell me about each of the the songs because lucy did a really good job of describing the songs when we had her on um Is she? Okay. yeah 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 she, oh, she did actually let me listen to some of it and yes it's very very good but it was down the uh, the end of a uh a zoom call so i didn't hear it in uh lossless or dolby atmos or nothing like that it was, uh, okay <laughs> well, at least you've got some idea what she was talking about then yeah 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 vaguely um so i mean be hard on yourself we all know what are your memories of recording that one um well the good thing one of the good things about working with mike and the fact that he's been mixing a lot of our live material over the years all these these blu-rays and stuff that we do from the from the weekends um, he's got a real sense of the band live and he's very aware of that now more than maybe he was years ago. And, um, so he's always on the lookout for things that will work live, you know, he's, and, and that's sort of how be hard on yourself started. I'm talking about from a musical point of view, yep. that piano riff the, that you hear that happened in a jam. And Mike said that, that would, I can hear that on stage. Mm. You know, that would be great live. Um, you should do something with that. And so that was the, the starting point um and the song just sort of grew out of that really um, yeah you know it was one of those ones where quite often we'd start with a jam something that we we've jammed and just played around and then we'd come back to it maybe a few months or a year later or something and might say well like here what about this bit learn it and then sort of jam off it you know see mm. where it takes you what's 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 going to follow that you know so so we do that a few times and see if we come up with anything else you know to to follow it and so all, all the different bits to be hard on yourself pretty much came from jamming around the initial idea and seeing where we can take it and we're, we're sort of pretty good at that sort of thing so yeah i've got to say the live version from the lightsabers uh download i mean that really works i mean that i, I might even prefer to the album version because it's got a really nice kind of raw edge to it so, so, so i think he was right then so it does yeah. work well yeah 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 so uh what can you tell me about reprogram the gene reprogram the gene well i suppose there's a bit of, um, you know, stuff in there that H said, said at the beginning he wasn't going to sing about COVID and climate change and all the terrible things that are happening. Um, but, of course, he has sung about it because it's hard to get away from, really. Yeah. And when you're writing lyrics about what's going on in your life and what makes you angry or what makes you, you know, what moves you, um, then th th that's pretty much the story of the the last few years isn't it musically i suppose it's it, it's a fairly straightforward song um mm. it's got some energy to it which is good I, I, i'm really pleased about that because i because i was saying um after fear whilst i really like the album i think it's it's quite a lot of it is quite atmospheric and, and low mm. key you know big chunks of it are um so that's that song has has got a bit of energy to it which is great oh you know hopefully people will will 
enjoy seeing that one live too. Mm. Okay, uh, only a kiss because that wasn't. Am I right? Only a kiss wasn't originally on the track listing. No, um, it's, it's because it's only it's like a little piano intro, piano uh, bass okay. intro to that song. So here's what we did. Um, we had six songs now, and this sounds like you know you shouldn't. We shouldn't really be thinking about this sort of thing when we're when we're making music. And we it, after we finished the album, I pointed out that you know if we've only got three or four songs on an album and you put it on Spotify, you will get paid a quarter of what somebody with 12 tracks has got on their right. album, you know? Um, it's just just how they do it. They pay you per track, which is ludicrous because, you know, yes, but they're close to the Edge album. They It's, it's like a three-track album, you know? Yeah. Um, so one of the things you can do, of course, is subdivide the songs up into sections, which is what we did with Brave before streaming existed, and there's all those little sections that mm. it all runs together. Um, so we consciously said, well, what, you know, obviously without ruining the songs or without making nonsense of them, or, you know, we, we subdivided them into sections and, and that section only a kiss was the beginning of, um, is it murder machines? Murder machines is next in the list. Yeah. Yeah. Only a kiss is one of the lines from murder machines. Um, so, so that's what it is. It's, it's a little introduction to that song. Uh, um, okay. So Murder Machines then, which I think that this will be going out the week that Murder Machines is is released publicly. Um, yeah, it's come it's it's coming out on the third or the fourth of Feb actually, so mm-hmm. a week away. Um on on your favourite streaming service. That's that's got a bit of a a bit of an eighties vibe to it, I think. Oh really? A bit of an electronic music vibe to it, like sort of pulsating bass synths and stuff. Ooh, um, nice. And it's um Again, it powers along nicely. I, I really like it. It's, it's I, I think it's going to be, you know, hopefully people will like it. Um, but again, it's it's a fairly, you know, it's it's one of the shorter tracks on the album. It's probably about four 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 minutes or so. But you know, the first three tracks they they're sort of moving along with a good pace, and it's you know, it's so for people who want something with a bit of bit of energy to it, hopefully that will be good. And then. Then you've got Crow and the Nightingale. That's my favourite track on the album. I think it's beautiful. There's Lovely. some 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 um, um, real choral vocals um, done by this voice section that Mike Hunter found um, a bit in the style of these sort of Bulgarian singers, um, which open and close the track. And there's some some singing in the middle as well, um, which really adds a great atmosphere to it. It's a it's a really nice track. I, I like it a lot. Fantastic. Uh, Sierra Leone, that's the next one. Sierra Leone, um, again, that's another long one. Now we're into the longer tracks. Um, it's got it's it's got some interesting bits to it. Um, it's fairly low key. It's probably the lowest key track on the album, and and fairly slow as well, actually. Um, but again, it's got some. You know, it's it's hard to describe music. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get to care, which is probably the 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 high point of the album certainly people that i've played it to or given copies mm. to that's the one that they pick on and go wow that's a tr- that's a track you know somebody said you shouldn't be writing music this good this far into your careers right um nice so, nice and it's it's basically a song in three sections final section is one of the best things we've ever done so wow. um let's we'll see lucy said the same thing i believe i, I don't often get goosebumps from listening to music and i it hardly ever happens listening to our music um, but that song definitely does it to me. 
Um, so I think it's going to be a real great moment live. Putting you on the spot, if you had to compare it closely to any of your other albums, which ones would you say, I mean, as a whole, the album, would you, or does, does it just stand on its own? If I had to compare it to any of them, it's understandably, it's probably closely, more closely related to fear than anything else. But like I said, it's, mm. it's, it's definitely got more of a more power to it. Um, it probably harks a little bit back to our earlier stuff in the, in the, in, in the first part of the album, because the songs have got a lot more energy to them, a bit more like the earlier Marillion stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to describe. Um, but I think it's, it's turned out well. I'm very happy with it. Good. Good. So it's not going to be the final Marillion album. Can you say that categorically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely not going to be the final Marillion album. We've, you know, even if we just finished off the, you know, the best of the, 10 or 15 songs that we started work on that didn't make it onto the album. We would have another album pretty soon. Need to ask you, though, before you, you do go, about the Marillion weekends that are coming up. Am I right in thinking you've already started rehearsals? This week, we, we, we've we been playing through um, um, Reprogram the Gene, Murder Machines. We had a go at Crow and the Nightingale today for the first time. Um, Steve Rothery's going a bit nuts trying to cram all the guitar parts into his head because a lot of his stuff is, is very improvised and, and tends to be things that don't repeat so it's mm. literally you have to learn every bar is different you know yeah um whereas if you've got something that you know you're playing a, a chord sequence that repeats and you know it's it's a lot easier yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um but it's going pretty well tomorrow we're gonna have a look at sierra leone and then maybe friday or monday we'll look at care so we're that's the first thing is, is to basically get all those songs so that we can at least play through them badly and then we'll rehearse them to the till we start playing them well um, and then we just and then we'll start working on the the other two nights because um the plan is to play the whole of the new album and um something else on the other two nights do you know roughly what that is without spoiling it i do but if i told you then i'd spoil it this is very true yeah <laughs> also yes there's visions of uh lucy on a building opposite with a sniper rifle as well she'd probably shoot us both so i'm going to ask you the last question i want to ask you is, is one that i asked her uh i mean are you familiar with star wars no i'm a bit old you know when star wars first came out i was already probably 19 wasn't i 18 or 19 so um it was, I, I was already past the age t- to be um become a star wars fan. all right simpsons characters Did you watch the simpsons I have watched it. Okay. Know. Well, I was gonna. What I was gonna ask you, I won't ask you it. But I was gonna ask you which which Star Wars character or Simpsons character um, are each members of the band? Because uh, I asked Lucy, and uh, <laughs> she had to tell me. She had to tell me off mic in the end. But um, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so we'll we'll leave it at that. But um, I, I, yeah, I'd say Pete's Bart. Uh, Rothers is Homer. Ian's the guy that owns, that's the, the boss of the factory. What's his name? Oh, Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns, yeah. I'm just I'm just making this up. <laughs> H is the girl that plays the saxophone. Lisa, right. is it? Yeah, that's Lisa. Yeah, and I'm, somebody else can say who I am. Right, fair enough. <laughs> that, that's, that'll do. <laughs> that's good enough. Brilliant. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Mark. That was um, that was really interesting. Um, a lot of fun. So. Um, well done on the book again. Well done on Marathon and good luck with uh, the new album. Thank uh, you very I, much. I think I'm actually going to be at your book launch. Uh, I, saw, I saw your email. I did see your email and I, 
and I um I sent you a reply, which you um you replied to me. So yes, yes see you there. Yes. So thank you. I look forward to that. There we go. We can't discuss that interview, can we, Sonia? Because you haven't heard it yet. I know. You have to wait for my future self to hear it. But what I can say is that Fish inevitably has not entirely taken Mark's book lying down. He's trying to be positive. Yes. I mean, I think he is positive, but he's mainly he's mainly saying how it's inspiring him to write his version of events. He's mainly saying that. Yeah, he because he did on Fish on Friday uh, have some things to say where I got the sense that perhaps some of it hadn't fully gone in yet or been processed. And then, then he did this week put out this statement on on his official Facebook page where he said, it's been a strange couple of weeks as I found myself inadvertently meandering down memory lane, smiling at those dried out cowpats of the devil's own satanic herd that Blackadder once commented on. No idea what that means. Between clearing out the forgotten nooks and crannies of the control room and unearthing all sorts of old documents, including my resignation letter to Marillion, Mark Kelly's autobiography arrived at the studio. Reading his take on our history together, although having quite a few Roger Moore eyebrow moments, was interesting. And what as does I had, the Roger Moore eyebrow moment mean? Well, like raised eyebrows. Oh, right. Hmm. Oh. 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 Tennis. Oh. You're not going to correct me. Ten, no, Tennis. Tennis. You're doing... No. Sean Well, because you asked me to correct you, so no, I'm not going to bother because you know you were being... Silly. I must admit that it... Oh, they see you throw me now. Sorry. How far did I throw you? Reading his take on our history together, although having quite a few Roger Moore eyebrow moments, was interesting. And as I had the benefit of joining the dots and the knowledge and memory to fill in the blanks, it made for an emotional wee trip down the aforesaid lane. I must admit that it did sting having my voice condemned in both the prologue and epilogue and regularly throughout sections of the book. The repeated breadhead tag and the endless references to my alcohol and drug intake. Wait, what's breadhead? What does that mean? Money obsessed. Money obsessed. Yeah. The repeated breadhead tag and the endless references to my alcohol and drug intake and violent tendencies did become irritating and it sometimes felt like I was reading a tabloid account of my days in the band. It did thankfully admit the long-time favourite, Fish, who drinks pints of Jack Daniels and Coke. Don't really get that reference either. I may not have been a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly wasn't in the company of angels, and if I was so out of it so much of the time, as is suggested, then pray tell me how I managed to keep it all together and not only function and create, but drive myself and the band over so many years. Yes, it annoys me, enough said. Don't get me wrong, I'm not totally bent out of shape about what's been written. And at the end of the day, it's Mark's perspective on what happened with us. As he wrote to me in his sincerely appreciated handwritten dedication, memories are so subjective. I hope Mark appreciates my own subjectivity when he reads my account of the times as the one thing that reading his autobiography has done is prompt me to get on with my own. And that is no bad thing. That feels like a veiled threat. Which doesn't help his reputation. <laughs> Not really. I'm a really chill, lovely guy. Yeah. Just you wait until I write my subjective view and my autobiography. What I will say is that that little statement is a lovely coda to our recent fish episodes, isn't it? I know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's like, you're not changing. It is. Yeah. God, those episodes left me so down and depressed. Yeah, me too. Not necessarily depressed, but God, they were heavy. They were really heavy. Oh, and they really... Whoa. 
I hope Mark and Fish stay friends. By the same token, I understand A, why Fish would be pissed off and also B, why Mark would have written it. So, yeah, you know, I am very curious to see Fish's autobiography, but um, I really hope it's not just a, an exercise in score selling and retribution. I hope it isn't, you know, a Alan Partridge style. Needless to say, I had the last word. Anyway, so once again, thank you to Mark for giving us his time. I could have talked to him for far longer. So where are we at? Well, we finally started properly digging into marbles, haven't we? Yes. Yes. I've started gathering all my research and stuff together. I hope we might be able to start in a couple of weeks. Next week, what we're planning to do is uh, we're going to have a letters episode, which we haven't done for Yeah, we're way behind with our letters episodes. We have a lot of letters about fish. Uh, And then after that, I hope we're sort of done with talking about fish for a while because we also want to talk about the new single, Murder Machines. It's not really a single. It's a a track that will have been released by the time next week's out. It's not being released as a single? It's released, being released as streaming. Oh, right. It's not, there, there won't be like a physical single B-sides and stuff like that. I it'll, see. It'll just be released um, on the 4th, I think, 4th of Feb. Uh, and then, so we're going to talk about that. We'll talk a bit more about Mark's book and we'll have some letters. And then the week after that, we should, I hope, get onto Marbles, but that's famous last week. Yeah, unless something else comes up. Yeah, because I would love to get Marbles done before the new album comes out. When are you planning on doing the first Marillion Weekend interview with your friend Sebastian? Oh, God. Yes. Chronologically, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yes. But I worry we're pushing marbles back so far and people... We're not in a uh, hurry here, though. This is very true. We're not in a hurry. We want our podcast. We want to be... A, we, we love making our podcast. So we do love we're it. in no rush to get through all the albums super fast. Yeah. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, why not subscribe why not tell people about us why not go leave a review on apple music to make up for the one star and two star reviews we've had recently um, oh, why don't you go do that um sorry, so so is corona diaries it happens to everyone it happens to everyone uh and we'll be back next week with more of this rambling nonsense bye-bye bye-bye everybody bye-bye everybody Bye, boy. One star. One star. Ugh, such rambling nonsense. One star. Ugh. <laughs> Who doesn't like fish solo? Yeah.